we are back for another edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. I am your host, Jacob Lane. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Presley Meyer. Presley, how are you? I like that pink room you're in, man. I'm in this room every podcast, man. Well, I didn't notice I before that it is pink. It looks great. The color is – it looks really good in there with you in it. It is. You look studious, blush. my friend. It's blush. I'm, I'm told this is in – in the three days that I spent painting this room, everybody laughed at me, but it is blush. And it is blush. All right. Trendy. Well, blush it is. We're back for another edition. We're going to talk Louisville football, some basketball tonight as we get a little bit closer to basketball season. Some, some interesting news in a list. Podcasts are always good for just breaking down lists, I think. Presley, what do you think? Yes, list cast. Let's go. Yes. So we'll list jump into five favorite kinds of apples. Go. Five favorite kinds of apples. Honeycrisp, Gala. That's all I know off the top of my head. Granny Smith, right? The green ones you got to – I can't even bear Granny Smith. Everybody's like, oh, Granny Smith. Granny they Smith. are a little They are a little sweet. No, but, they're like, uh, like pies and stuff. Like I don't yeah. feel like Granny Smith is like a – like I'm waiting for the school bus. I'm going to munch on a Granny Smith. Like, Yeah, I, I can't, can't say off the top of my head that I know very many apple flavors, but uh, those are the three that stick out, so I'll roll with those. Yeah, I, I think Honeycrisp is the obvious answer here. Honeycrisp, anything else – if it obviously maybe it's just like the the high dollar thing like they charge more for Honeycrisp, so obviously it's better type thing i don't know that could be it all right so we're going to talk some football obviously tonight because louisville is back they're going to play a game after their one and two start we're going to talk about you know what they what they need to do and what we need to see against georgia tech who look we're, we're not going to lie they're not world beaters here georgia tech may be one of the bottom feeders of the acc but this is a game that very much matters for a lot of reasons we're going to dive into it but presley I saw a graphic not long before we started recording our show that was put out by the Louisville Basketball Social Media, which shout out to them. They do a great job from the videos to the graphics, everything. Same with the football team. But they they tweeted a graphic that that shares that uh, Samuel Williamson and David Johnson have both been named to the top 20 breakout players for the 2021 season list from John Rothstein, the man who never sleeps man who produces the mayhem and the, the ridiculousness of basketball and, and the college realms, John Rothstein. It's a big deal to have both of those players on that list. You know, when you, when you start looking at the basketball season, which we were just talking about this before we came on, we've kind of forgotten everything that happened uh, because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it has been what, seven, eight months since, since basketball has been played, since we've gotten to see Louisville basketball. Obviously Chris Mack has talked about his team, but we've had a lot of time to talk about this team and a lot of time to forget what this team looks like. Right. Um, so Samuel Williamson and David Johnson being named to this list just kind of brings basketball up for a second. And we can talk about how, promising this basketball team is going to be but how many question marks there I, I can't you know I think the obvious answer to this when I say it is going to be 2018 that first year with Chris Mack but can you remember a Louisville basketball team that was this much up in the air like we just didn't know anything about it I can't and I think part of it is just how much in the the Denny Crum and Rick Pitino eras they really they didn't have a lot of one and done type type of guys and the grad transfer thing hasn't wasn't really a thing uh, until the very late Patino year, years so we've never really had a year like this like this is the most like I, I guess it's how UK and Duke fans feel every year like they just don't know about their team and you just have to just live on hope and promise and and just look look at the potential positives of the season but no I, I can't remember a season where there's been this much uncertainty, which is in, on one hand exciting and in another sense extremely scary because you just you, – you truly have to have probably four to six guys who have made pretty much no contribution at all on the team 
step up and play at a high top tier ACC caliber level to have any shot of, of having a decent season, that's a tall task. I mean, you even have a guy like, you know, I, I think that we're going to bank on Malik Williams and David Johnson being the top two players this season. Well, Malik Williams has never had a full season of starting under his belt. Um, he's never played more than 20 minutes a game in a season. And David Johnson uh, missed the first, you know, portion of last season and was really up and down and had a lot of veterans in front of him last season. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, you're you're basically banking on, on two guys as the quote-unquote experienced veterans who we really truly don't know what they would look like as somebody that's the primary ball handler, the primary uh, attention getter in, in, in the system. So, yeah, it's it's a lot to unpack, and you forget, you know, I, I was just on the way over here. I was thinking about Stephen Enoch. Like, I, I just hadn't even thought about Stephen Enoch since, since the season ended last year. I know it sounds stupid, but, like, you think about all the guys that, that, that you're missing out on, people aren't going to realize how much they're going to miss Ryan McMahon. People right. aren't going to realize how much they're going to miss Jordan War. As much crap as Ryan McMahon and Jordan War got during their careers, people are going to miss those guys. All so. right, so, so here's what Chris Mack is tasked with, right? You, you say that, and let me lay this out for you. Gone is Jordan Wara, your, your number one priority, replacing your top scorer. Gone, Stephen Enoch, re- number one priority is going to be putting in another quality big man who can play similar minutes, score like he can, give you post moves, give you outside shooting, give you free throw shooting. Um, obviously, there's a lot to, left to be desired about his game, but you're replacing your top big man, right? Keep on going down the list. Dwayne Sutton, you're losing your top rebounder. You're losing your energy, your effort guy. He is the, the heartbeat that keeps that team uh, going forward, you're you're going to be replacing Ryan McMahon, so your top shooter. You literally do not have a proven shooter on this team outside of Carly Jones, who I know shot 40% or something like that from the field last year at, at Radford. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and then Fresh Kimball and Darius Perry, those guys, you know, I don't think they either one of them ever really lived up to the potential or to the expectations of what they thought that they would be, but they were two veteran guards who could give you um, a lot of different things at a lot of different times. So that's two experienced ball handlers, right? You talk about tournament success and guards. So now you're handing the reins over to guys like Carly Jones, Josh Nickelberry, uh, Aiden Agahan is stepping into a big role. Obviously, you mentioned Malik Williams, Sam Williamson, David Johnson. We know what they have to do. We know what their what their capability is and what they can be. But but to the, Chris Mack talked about it. You have to step into unknown roles. It's roles you've never played. It's a it's a big question mark. Um, but I wrote about this on the Big Red Louis this week, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this. So the word that I choose to kind of use to define this team is intriguing. I know that's a pretty common word in the world of sports, talking about potential and ceilings and all that good things. But uh, intrigue, it's defined. Uh, I love this definition. To arouse the curiosity or interest or to fascinate, right? Well, is, that not what Louisville's, is, is that not what Louisville's team – does Louisville's team not arouse you this year with curiosity? My curiosity has never been more awoken until this very moment. I am so aroused. Right, exactly. So I wrote about the top five most intriguing players. That's not the best top. That's not the best five players. That's not the worst five players. That's not the starting lineup. This is just the five players that I am most intrigued by. This may surprise you, but I start off number five with Sam Williamson. I know, obviously, there's a lot of intrigue with him because of what he can be. But I think, to me, the intrigue does not come near the comparison of some of the other guys because we expect him to be great. Think about yeah. it. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, Terry Rozier, Montrez Harrell. How many guys have gone from um, like just kind of a, a good role-playing freshman to star sophomore? I mean, that has been kind of the common theme over the years. I, I think that when you think about – 
McDonald's All-Americans, when you think about guys that were highly coveted recruits and came in and they felt like they, the, they're the kind of guys that have been in the program, Samuel Williams is, is, is one of those guys. I think Samuel Williams and, and David Johnson both are, to be honest with you. Um, but when you, when you think about those kind of guys, you're right. It's the sophomore year. You know, the fresh, your freshman year, you get your feet under you. Sophomore year is when you take that, take, take that big jump. And so I think um, as a fan base, the overall expectation for Williamson is for, for he for, – well, I was going to say he and Johnson, but for him specifically to step up and have that kind of leadership role. Um, it, as, far as, as far as Williamson goes, I think the reason he didn't see as much clock last year was not because of his scoring ability. I think he's a, probably the best pure scorer on the team. And you, you saw that in spurts last season. Uh, even going, you know, towards the end of the season when he wasn't playing very much at all, um, he was getting in. He had some, like, you know, games where he was just randomly three for three in, like, nine minutes. You know, so that, that's kind of what you get. You get a lot – you're going to get a lot of just pure scoring out of Sam, Samuel Williamson. I think where he can really improve his game is on the defensive end. I think that's why I didn't see a lot of time last year. Um, in, in, in addition to that, uh, in transition. I think that he can he can be a guy who can you know uh, possibly have those kind of like Rick Pitino style deflections and and get out into the open court and kind of be a, a great player in transition. But he's also a, a, a matchup nightmare. He's a guy who who Matt can rely on uh, now that Jordan War is gone to be that guy who can kind of create uh, matchup difficulties for opponents um, on the wing. Yeah, he is the kind of guy that, like, if Chris Mack could draw up what his wing defender is going to look like in that pack line defense, it's Samuel Williamson because of how tall and how long he is. All right, so number four, Aiden Gahan is a guy that I am I am very intrigued by, uh, curious and fascinated because of uh, a guy last year who just, quite frankly, right away was obvious, okay, this, this is too much too soon. We need to treat this like a, a de facto redshirt year, see the, see the court on limited basis and blowouts. But early on, he had to play because Malik Williams was injured. Um, and, and the game just looked much faster than him. Chris Mack talked about how he had to get adjusted to just practicing and effort and all of those things that go into learning to be a freshman. Uh, and by the end of the season, he got hurt. So we didn't get to see kind of what that progression looked like. And uh, maybe I'm crazy here, but I feel like the fans have kind of soured on Aiden Gahan because they didn't get to see, like, there wasn't that one moment or the, those couple of moments where you were just like, that's the guy he can be. We never saw that because he just didn't get much playing time and he never really got that opportunity. But this year, man, you can't hide him anymore. He's the, the most physical, uh, the, just the biggest physical freak on your bench. You can't hide Aiden this year because Stephen Enoch is gone, right? Stephen Enoch could kind of cover up for uh, physically, physically and like literally could cover up Aiden Gahan so the other team didn't see who he was, right? And Stephen was just such a big guy, uh, like and very muscular and very intimidating when you first saw him. So that's going to be who Aiden is this year. Teams are going to see that. He can't just sit on the bench. Malik Williams is a guy you talked about. It. He's never played more than 20 minutes. He's going to move into a starting role. He's had injury history. There is no other option on this team to play center. We'll get to the, what, the, what Chris Mack said could be, but there is no other five here. It's got to be Aiden. Aiden has to play well or else Louisville is going to be in trouble if something happens to Malik Williams. Uh, and I was, that's exactly what I was about to say. Uh, Malik Williams has been that injury-prone guy. It's kind of like he's like the Malik Cunningham. I, I don't know what it is about Malik's. Um, but he's like the Malik Cunningham of Louisville basketball this season, right? Like you just are on pins and needles uh, every time that he hits the ground because he is so vital to your team's success. And when you're talking about Aiden Gahan, you know, you're talking about a rousing interest, right? 
I mean, you're thinking about that picture of Aiden Gahan after he graduated with the with the cap on, the glasses. Um, you know, I'm just kidding. Whenever you said, a, whenever you were giving the de- the dictionary definition, I was like, now. this would be <laughs> this would be the perfect the perfect opportunity to meme that up." Um, but no, Aiden Gahan is crucial this season. I think you talked about he, he people souring on him, right? I, I think part of that was just because he was such a highly coveted recruit last season. And so – Right. Chris Mack flew to Ireland for him, like to I meet mean, his family. Right. Like that's a big deal. You don't just do that for some three-star who's going to be a, you know, a role-playing person for right. you, you know, long-term. Yeah. And so to me, I mean, I, I think – the analogy that I would use, and I don't know why this comes to mind, but it's kind of like, like, you know how golf is kind of a social sport, right? And so, like, to Aiden Gahan, he picked it up late, right? And so, when when you pick up golf late in life, like anything, you have to, you don't realize how much coordination you need and stuff. And then all of a sudden, you hit the driving range, you learn how to do it, you get kind of good, right? And then you go out and you actually play on the course. When you get out and play on the course, you're like, nobody told me I had to hit from the rough and and, and, you know, deal with all these different situations, wind, bunkers, like every, every single thing that I learned is different, right? And so in basketball, when, when Aiden Gahan, he did not come up in a basketball culture. He was tall and athletic. He played very little ball in Ireland. So he came to New York late. You know, all these kids that are playing on the AAU circuits have been playing basketball their entire lives, right? He picked up the club. He picked up the basketball for, for the first time when he was almost a teenager. Uh, so he he's late to the game. He hasn't been like the Samuel Williamson's. He hasn't been like the David Johnson's and Malik Williams is on this team that have had those opportunities um, to, to see like real live in-game action. And then last year in the limited opportunities that we saw, he never really got a chance to get his feet under him. He, so he's a guy that, that I'm looking at if we do and ultimately have a season and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the schedule a bit later, but if we do ultimately have a full 27 game season, which is what they're planning. Um, this is a guy that I'm, I'm looking for maybe in like February or March to be ultimately, he could be one of the X factors on his team. Uh, I don't think that he's a guy. I think that people, he might get some more ridicule uh, early on in the season because he's just the kind of guy that he's going to have to get his feet wet. And the only way he can get his feet wet is, is to be the primary backup. And that's what you're going to see happen this year. Yeah. Baptism by fire, right? You see that all the time with, with guys in their second year, uh, no longer being able to sit in a role playing position or in a bench warming role, they have to be thrown into, you know, right in the thick of things. And that's exactly what Aiden is going to be. We're going to need him right away from day one. He's going to have to produce, even if look, his, his production doesn't need to be anything more than maybe a Koya gal. Remember when he came in for the one year, um, you know, he gave you those, that solid defense against Michigan state that really kind of sealed the game late. Like that, that I always said for, for a Koi that that game alone was worth his scholarship. Right. And obviously with Aiden, he's a lot better. You want to see more than that. But what I'm saying is he doesn't have to be a guy that comes in and scores 10 points and gives you five rebounds. Success with him can be one point and seven rebounds, three blocks, you know, a couple steals. Like Aiden is going to be kind of that, uh, that Dwayne in a type of role in terms of he's just going to have to do the dirty work like that's how he's going to get uh more comfortable and more confident use that body throw it around 
get clean the glass, get your teammates going in transition and go there. Let's move Throw to number three. Around, right, exactly. I want to I want to move to number three real quick uh, and speed through the rest of these. But Carly Jones, he's a guy who comes over. He's the big South player of the year. Um, averaged a lot of points. Has been to the NCAA tournament. And, and when I say this, I don't I don't say this with um, like a, a, with hi, a hyperbole. Like this is not a metaphor. This is this is truly what I think. Um, I think that when you look at Chris Mack in a few years and you see kind of the new Louisville with his his type of player, you're going to point back and you're going to look at Carly Jones as the guy who got that vehicle going because he is a Chris Mack guard. He is. He's small, right? He's 6'1". He's not the usual 6'3", 6'4", but he is tough as nails. His swag is like Jair Alexander on the basketball court. He's going to let you know every single time that he scores that he's better than you, and he's come back down he's going to do it again. Uh, Louisville did not have anybody that when – the wheels kind of fell off on offense that had that swagger, that mental toughness to kind of push them through outside of Malik and Dwayne Sutton, right? That was highly, uh, that, that has been highly uh, profiled, right? We, two years ago, you have Chris, Chris Mack on the bench and uh, from his lips, you can see what he is saying about his team. I'm not going to repeat it, but I think we can all go back and remember the exact word that he used. And I don't These think he guys was talking about his good. cats. He was not talking about his cats, right? Guys are good. Right. And so then last year, I wish I had more Dwayne's. We need more Dwayne's. We got to be tougher. We're not playing defense because we're worried about offense. With a guy like Carly Jones, he is going to be able to, to push past that mental ceiling. Uh, and I think there's going to be enough guys around him that are in the same kind of boat, but he's going to be the leader of them. Right, right. He's going to be the dudes pulling, you know, getting his teammates up, uh, you know, hand, hand, giving everybody handshakes in the, at the free throw line. You know, like he is going to be the motivator, the leader of this team and a, and a Damian Lee type of player. The intrigue comes because he's coming from a conference that name, name one team in the Big South that you're really fond of. The Big South, um, UNC Greensboro. Okay, you're you're off a conference, but I I'll give you at least close. UNC Asheville is a close school in terms oh, of Asheville. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but no, but my my point being is that that's not a conference that is notorious for college basketball. And there's guys all the time who transfer up who have been, you know, the whack player of the year or whatever the case is in these smaller conferences and. Jeff Goodman did a great job of profiling this, uh, you know, in the offseason of the grad transfers who go up thinking that they're going to see a production boost. In fact, it doesn't work like that. They meet higher competition and a level of players and athleticism that they are not prepared for. You saw that North Carolina last year is a great example of that. They had two really good graduate transfers, but they were role players. And Carly Jones is not going to get the um, – He's not going to get the fortunes here of being a role player. He's going to have to be the star, the go-to scorer. He, right away, especially, he's going to have to carry them. And I think he's capable of doing it. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, we talked a lot about – we thought that, that Fresh Kimball was going to be that next lead guard, lead guard kind of guy who can kind of take over at the end of games. We saw a little bit, a little bit of that last year, but Fresh Kimball was more of like um, the Quan Four type of grad transfer than the Kristen Cunningham. And that's who I foresee um, Carly Jones being is, is more of a Kristen Cunningham guy. And I think Mac made a really savvy move by having two graduate train, or I guess, uh, what, what, what would they be considered? Graduate assistants. Graduate assistants. Yeah. Um, and Spike Albrecht and, and Kristen Cunningham himself. Both now, guys think, were graduate transfers. Exactly. And both of these guys can speak to what he's going to have to deal with. I think that was a really savvy move on Mac's part. Not, not only just because he because Mac knows that, that Cunningham wants to get into the coaching profession and that he had mentioned before that he hoped that he could get Cunningham on his staff, 
but it was also because of the fact that you have two very valuable graduate transfers that are going to be on this team that they're going to depend on this season. And so I hope that I know at the end of last, at the end of Max's first season, I know that mine and your conversations often centered around Kristen Cunningham because we thought he was probably the best player on that team. He seemed like he was the guy that was most mentally with it, that was the most in tune with what Mac wanted to do. And I feel like that's the way that Carly Jones could be this season. Um, yeah, and, what, and what offers uh, – one more thing, I'm so sorry. What offers no, the most intrigue for me with Carly Jones is the way that he fits. You know, I think that he's more in the mold of a true – uh, point guard but he's also a pure scorer it's kind of like a weird combination right whereas David Johnson is probably going to be your actual point guard on the season or on this team so it, it's going to be interesting to see how the minutes are dispersed because you also have a very intriguing graduate transfer in Charles Midland um, and then you you also have a very intriguing we're, we're using intriguing a lot I'll say arouse you have a very arousing a sophomore and Josh Nickelberry as well. So it'd be interesting to see how the minutes are dispersed and how those minutes are dispersed later on in the season. I think early on you could, you could see a lot of the younger guys, but as, as it has been, even going back to Rick Bettino, um, as that was as well, um, you, you're going to see um, that, that, that these guys are getting more and more clock. The, the, the veterans, I mean, will be getting more and more clock as the season progresses. Yeah, and let's quickly move into two and one. Typically, we would spend more time at the end of the list than the beginning of the list. That's terrible planning by your host here, but whatever. Let's move into it. Number two and number one. I got Jalen Withers at number two, and you could put him at number one any day of the week because the guy is simply a freak. He looks like Kevin Durant in terms of height and arm length. Like the highlights of him look like he could be that. Obviously, I know he's not going to be that, at least not anytime soon. Uh, he red shirts last year. He's a guy that I think Chris Mack said in his mind, uh, I think we can take one step back here to take seven steps forward. He's that good. So sitting out, uh, it gives him the opportunity to learn and to grow. He's put on, I think it's 25 or 30 pounds uh, since his, he got to Louisville last year. Like this is a guy Chris Mack told us, Presley, that he can play center. I don't think we're going to see that a whole lot because there's a big need at the four. There's literally not anyone there right now who has experienced playing that position. Not that he is either, but I think him and him and Quinn, they got, there's something there. They got to figure out with who's going to play those minutes. He is, I mean, intriguing doesn't and arousing doesn't even become close to the level of excitement and potential around him, but yeah, who knows? Can he live up to it? We've never seen him play basketball before. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen, we've seen him play a little bit, but we've never seen him don a global uniform, which no, I mean, and it, it, it is, exciting to me because of all the hype that he's received in, in this offseason. I mean, and, and Mac told us himself, you know, he, he is, he has grown over an inch since he arrived on campus. Um, so this is a guy who you could see um, develop into that backup center. So that I think that, that Louisville can go a lot of different directions at the four and five, but what they have kind of fallen into is that they basically have four guys that are going to have to, that they're going to have to spread the minutes out over the four and five position. Um, so how that works, how that operates, I have no idea. Um, however, it is it will be very interesting to see maybe if you see Quinn Slazinski and Jalen Withers in together. It'd be interesting to see if you if you see uh, Malik Williams um, and um, Aiden Gahan in together. But but as far as Jalen Withers goes, we haven't really ever had anyone at UVL uh, over six eight or six nine who can put the ball on the floor and take somebody one-on-one -on -one and get to the basket. Uh, I think that uh, would be – Uh-oh. 
You, we did. We did. Who, who, go back a little bit. Who did we compare last year when we wrote the piece on Louisville basketball's incoming freshman comparing to Jalen Weathers? Do you remember? Because there is. There is a swingman comparison that is – I mean, we could we could really get into Garcia, the identicalness of it. It's not. It's Earl Clark. Oh, Earl. Is Earl Clark 6'9"? Uh, he's at least 6'8", right? He's the same kind of body type. Long, yeah, so, lake. So, he could put the, yes, remember, they used to always talk about how he could get to the basket with one or two dribbles. That is a great comparison. I mean, I will take Earl Sanity any day of the week. Uh, the only issue that I take with that is that Jalen Withers has about the deepest voice on the team, and Earl Clark sounded like my wife. Um, it, it, you know, the like little, like the pip, the pip squeaky voice. Um, but no, I mean, no, no, uh, intent and no ill intent for Earl Clark there. No Earl Clark slander is allowed. Never. No, never. This is a never. very pro Earl Clark podcast. Get the number one. Uh, David Johnson, it's not even close. It's a landslide because you're talking about a guy who could potentially be a top 10 pick next season. If this goes the way that it looks like it could, right? I wrote this last year, and people kind of laughed at me. You were one of them. Um, look, on any given night, he he could put up a triple-double. He's that type of player. He mm-hmm. can score at ease. The assists pile up. It looks It's like you blink, and he's got eight assists. Uh, he can rebound at his height. He is deadly as a defender if he applies his mind to it because of his length. Last year, we saw struggles as a freshman. Um, Matt Bob- Babcock told us that he could be a potential lottery pick guy next year. The NBA is salivating over the potential of a six foot five point guard. If he can become a shooter, Presley, and start to show that he can consistently score, uh, that offense is going to be fun to watch. And he is going to have a real potential to win the ACC Player of the Year if UofL does well. The big storyline for David Johnson for me is is not even going to be the three point shot. It's going to be that mid range jumper. You know how Terry Rozier kind of developed that that mid range shot. Um, in his sophomore season, I think that we could see something similar uh, out of David Johnson. If you get that, if you get a guy who can who can at least bring the offense out away from the uh, around the free throw line area, I think that that could be uh, where there's where there's a lot of potential uh, with, with David Johnson. I don't foresee him being a guy who's a knockdown three point shooter. He's got to be a guy who they, they can't rage on Rondo, Louisville, right? If Louisville, especially because right now, we talked about it a few minutes ago, who is the, who's the shooter that you can't leave open for Louisville right now? I mean, it's Carly Jones. and San, Carly Jones really is the only guy that I think defenses really have to tr- say, okay, he can consistently knock down threes. We've seen that at a lower level. Can he do it here? We don't know, but we got to guard him. The other guys, they got to prove they can shoot the ball. David Johnson, Sam Williamson, or else they are going to – defenses are going to just pack that, that, that floor and make them shoot the ball defensively. Um, and they don't have a Jordan War on this team. Here is the name to look out for as the second guy that you need to keep a, a hand in his face, Charles Menlin. And I, I don't think people are going to talk about this enough. He was, a, he was a volume shooter at San Francisco. They played in a very, very high-paced offense, and there was a lot of – they operated under the mantra of any shot is a good shot as long as it's really in the shot clock. That's kind of their mantra at San Francisco. That's not going to be the mantra um, at, at Louisville. He's only going to take shots that are good shots. Now, you if you look at Charles Minlin's uh, tape, he's the kind of guy when he's not taking contested shots, he's a great shooter. So this could be a guy where you see him. I, I think he was like a 33% shooter uh, from, from the beyond the arc at San Francisco. I think this is a guy you could look up, and he is right up there with Carly Jones Samuel Williamson as one of the better shooters on the team. And it'll also be interesting to see the development of Quinn Slezinski. We saw very limited action with Slezinski on the wing uh, because I think oftentimes towards the end of the season when he was getting some clock, it was more just 
filling in as a big man. Um, so it'll be interesting to see Quinn Slazinski at the four spot at his natural position because word has it that Slazinski uh, can, can stroke it. I uh, said that one for the mixtape as well. You've uh, given Charles, us so many good, valuable quotes here that we're going to so have to many, sneak so many into arousing the intro. Quotes tonight. So many arousing quotes, and you're right, man. And look, we could go on and on about Louisville basketball. I know that you guys are probably here right now to, to listen to Louisville football talk, so let's transition and talk about that because Presley Louisville's got a game this weekend, and it's one they got to win. Yeah, listen. I mean, they're taking on the Yellow Jackets, and if this one comes back to sting them, uh, I don't think that there's any – there's no there's no turning back from that. I, I mean, see what you did there. Beautiful. <laughs> That's incredible. It's like when I make a really good transition um, and then I have to ruin it just like that. But anyways, no, I mean, Georgia Tech, look, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about arousing matchups. If, if you, if you look at George, this Georgia Tech game, this is the definition of a must win game. It's a team that you should beat and it, it's a team that you have to beat. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a must, must win game. Um, I mean, what, what, what to you stands out more uh, when, when we look at this Georgia Tech team? Um, is it Louisville's offense versus Georgia Tech's defense or Georgia Tech's offense versus Louisville's defense? That's a great question. And honestly, that's not one I have really thought about. But I, I would say for me, I mean, it's got to be the offense of Louisville because, uh, you know, you, you get a game where the defense follows up a really bad performance against Miami. And they, they look, you know, quite frankly, they look like a different group. They're flying around now. They're giving up some plays here and there against Pittsburgh, but, but they're, they're doing their best to kind of try to limit the big play. And they did a good job of that. And they kept Louisville in that game and the offense just could not get anything, nothing outside of that 75 yard run. Uh, and then the, I think it was the two, two Atwell touchdown. There, there really wasn't anything else to speak of for the offense. And quite frankly, they were going backwards more times than they were forwards. Uh, and it makes you wonder about the offensive line. Presley, that is the thing when I go into this game, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Like that, the way that Pittsburgh absolutely dominated Louisville, that, man, they, they punked them. They took their lunch money. They went and they, they ate their food that they packed with their lunch money. They, got, they went to the bus. They took all their clothes. Like they punked Louisville last week. And, you know, I don't know if that's just a, hey, Pittsburgh is really this good. Uh, and it's, you know, Maybe next week we'll get we'll, we'll get a better matchup and it won't be that difficult. Or is this an offensive line that Malik is going to just be running for his life all season long? That if that's the answer to the question, the game plan from against Miami and Pittsburgh isn't going to do it. Look, Scott Satterfield came out and defended his players and said, "Look, this isn't a matter of lack of effort. This is a lack of attention to detail. This falls back on us." Like he really kind of took the onus upon himself after the last game. I was kind of surprised by that, but. He is right. You don't see anything like in the Bobby Petrino era um, where you have guys, you know, just not knowing what they're doing, giving up on plays. It's just more of just a lack of execution of the game plan. Um, and not, not only that, it it's, might be a lack of proper game plan in the first place. And to me, I said this before the Pittsburgh game, and I still wholeheartedly believe this. I think that you have to get Tutu Atwell and Braden Smith more involved in this offense. Um, because you're never going to be able to hit those big plays downfield. You're never going to open up the run game unless you can open up that, that middle tier. There's not a lot of 10, 12, 15 play, 15 yard plays in, in this offense. And we saw the same thing last season, you know, Louisville's opportunities in the red zone were very limited last season. I think that's why you've seen them struggle quite a bit in the red zone this year, because they've gotten to the red zone. They're like, what do we do? We have a shortened field. We don't know how to run this playbook. Um, and, and I mean, look, that, I, I am disappointed with the Miami and Pittsburgh losses. However, there's a lot to glean from that. Um, it was the most disappointing part, though, 
was the fact that Louisville's defense, for the most part, especially in the second half, second half was three to three. You know, they, they did their part in the second half, but it was Louisville's offense that was a huge letdown. And if you see an offensive line performance like that again, the, your only option is going to be what I talked about. You're going to have to go to dump downs to the running back, and you're going to have to hit guys across the middle. And Malik Cunningham's going to have to be more accurate than he is. He's missed a lot of wide open throws. He's thrown into double coverage way too much. He and he has he he has to take the onus and, and step up and be be the guy uh, that we know that he can be. Uh, so I, I think that those are the those are the main things. You know, they they have to I'll put the offensive line first of all in good positions. Offensive line has to execute. And then they have, to, they have to be able to execute in those mid-range plays or else you'll never be able to get those chunk yardage plays uh, that, that we saw a lot of last year and against Western Kentucky. Yeah, you, you exactly nailed that right on the head. I, I, in four quarters last week or two weeks ago against Pittsburgh, Louisville's offense accounted for just four plays over 15 yards. That's it, just four plays, not including the 75-yard touchdown. That's Pittsburgh, Right, exactly. And, and honestly, Malik looked a lot like he did in 2018, running a lot, trying to get away from defensive linemen because the offensive line was whiffing on, uh, on pass-blocking situations and not, not giving him a pocket. Last year, we saw a much-improved offensive line. Uh, the statistic that always stood out to me was that when he had a clean pocket, that being Malik Cunningham, he was one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Um, there's not been a clean pocket this year. Let's be quite frank. Against Western Kentucky, very early on, you and I are like, what is going on here? They're getting here every time. Now, that was horrifying. Louisville's offensive line graded out as the best of the week, and I'm thinking to myself, not with what I saw. No chance, right? So maybe that's a fluke. We throw it out. Somebody who knows football better than me, they saw something I didn't. Miami's the same thing. He's running for his life. He cannot get a second to throw the football. When he does, though, he's connecting on big plays. A lot of the plays they had in garbage time were big plays that, that kept that offense moving. Uh, against Pittsburgh, those weren't there. Um, and so I, I want to see, see that. I want to see an intermediate offense. I, why can't this offense dump the ball down to a running back? I don't understand. It's like they're allergic to passing to running backs. And the NFL and other big play and offenses in college, that's a big part of it. I just – I don't understand that. Um, the the one, offense – go ahead, sorry. I was going to say the one thing that stood out to me that Scott Satterfield spoke about this week was that he has been really on the tight ends about blocking. That's interesting to me because, you know, coming into the season, we really thought that Ian Pfeiffer – why am I blanking on our starting tight end's name? Marshawn Ford. Marshawn Ford, goodness Yes, gracious. sir. You're close. It's okay. You're you're the anyway, snowball of tight end names here. Keep is just, going. Yes. Not arousing you. Going. I'm not. I'm no longer aroused. The tight end group and in, in the in blocking schemes. That's something that Satterfield is pointing out. That's got to be a bit disappointing because coming into the season, um, you know that was where we thought that that was a big strength of the team. Um, so to to hear that they have potentially regressed uh, and struggled against some of these. Uh, you know, a little, little bit better power five defensive line, line lines. God bless. I cannot get the words out tonight. Since they struggle against some of these, these better power five defensive lines, it's been, it's been a bit, bit disappointing. So I think that's where that could come into play where they're still not hitting the running backs out of the backfield and, and Cunningham's still not having enough time because he's getting so much pressure off the edges. This is a game. I, I think that Louisville has to show that this, the way that this defense works and can work is by forcing turnovers if you've not watched georgia tech and, and jeff sims their freshman quarterback 
Um, quite, quite honestly, it, it's a fun, it's a fun offense to watch. And the, the, the kid can do just about whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because they are that far behind and rebuilding from the, the wishbone offense from Paul Johnson and that just run 97 times a game. But my Lord, he turns the ball over a lot so far this season. He's got eight interceptions. Um, I, I thought I saw somewhere that he leads the nation in fumbles, but I, I do not know that to be true. So I, I read uh, that. Sorry to, to interrupt, but no, I, you're I, good. I, read, I read that, and then I looked through their whole – it could be it could be fumbles, period, not recovered fumbles, but I read through every play-by-play because I'm a nerd, and I do that kind of stuff, and I only saw where he's fumbled once in the season. Yeah, still, so nine turnovers is not good. You never know whether or not it's – you know, fumbles are the worst track stat in college football, in my opinion, which I know that's a weird opinion to have, but – it's there's there's just not really much clarity there in terms of who does what but but he's a kid that is very dangerous with his legs um he's he's still dangerous passing the football but to be honest with you it's not a passing offense yet Louisville has got to to come out limit big plays force turnovers and they should be able to win this game by 20 or more I wrote about this on bigredly.com but I I think that Georgia Tech's the the storyline of their season so far is that they are a boomer bust type of team on both sides of the ball uh, they're very much built like Louisville's defense. Uh, they they run a four two five defense, and they are very uh, quick and aggressive defensively. And oftentimes, that's cost them this season, especially against superior athletes. And I think that that's where Louisville can take advantage again in the the short passing game. Um, I, I I think that's really a, a place where they where they could benefit from that. And it's the same way on offense. They've had a lot of big plays on offense. They have two really dynamic running backs. And they have a, a great dynamic dual threat quarterback. They're just young, and they take a lot. They make a lot of stupid decisions and take a lot of stupid chances. Um, and and that's ultimately ultimately the result. They have some big plays result from it, but they also have had a lot of turnovers, had a lot of three and outs. They've had a lot of unsuccessful drives. Um, so ultimately, I, I think that that's where Louisville has to capitalize. Uh, uh, they, they, they have to be able to capitalize on the inefficiencies and in the youth of, of Georgia Tech and hopefully get their feet under them going in, in Notre Dame. I think that if they come out and they don't look like they're pressing, they don't look like they're trying to get it all back in one play, That meaning the last two losses, that they are letting the game come to them the way that they did last year. Uh, the, their veterans need to lead them in order to do that. But if they come out and they, and they do that, this game is going to be fine. I think that Louisville fans are kind of antsy right now, right? We didn't anticipate one and two. It was always worst case scenario, but here we are. Now, one and two, not a big deal if in six weeks we're talking about Louisville being seven and two or five and two or whatever the case would be of how many games they have between now and then. But if they lose this football game, we can really start talking about, okay, there's a lot of work left to be done in this rebuild, and they were a year ahead of schedule, and everybody caught up to them. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that you're going to see a, a, a game that resembles last year with a better defense, and that's what I'm excited for. Do you have a prediction? We can go predictions right now? Yes, sure. Let's do it. Uh, my bold prediction of the game, I think that I think is going to happen, but if it doesn't happen, you can't hold me accountable because I said it was bold. Uh, I think the special teams is going to have a touchdown in this game. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be off of a blocked punt, off of a blocked, you know, blocked kick, off of a touchdown, or off of a kickoff return, a punt return. Special teams has been, has been quite frankly, uh, the worst thing on Louisville's football team this season. They have been terrible outside of James Turner. My man is kicking it like a Louisville legend. Um, and Everybody else, though, the kickoff team, the return team, they're not blocking very well. They're making a lot of mistakes. The punt, there's two, they've had two punt returns in three games. Two, two. That That's is good. a big problem. 
Two punt good. returns, 14 yards. That's it. Um, I think they're going to come out and they're going to make a, a big play. Jordan Watkins made a couple of really nice returns uh, when he got in. I, I think it was against Pittsburgh that, that, that he was able to make that big play. But uh, I, I see I see something happen in special teams wise. They get a touchdown. Uh, as far as a win, I'm going to go Louisville winning this game by 20. I'm going 42 to 22. Wowzers. I like it. I like the confidence. I, I'm not as confident um, just because – I think it's really difficult to go into a bye week coming off of two losses. Like, I think that they could come out fired up, but it, it is really tough to mentally get over that hump. And I think that they could come out and have another slow start. I hope that's not the case. hope I'm totally wrong. I hope they do win by 20. But I'm going to say 31-27 Louisville. Um, it's a Friday, Friday night game. There will be fans in the stands, so that will have somewhat of an impact probably. Um, so 30, 31-27 is my, my guess. Um, but I am, I'm hoping for a blowout. What's your, what's your bold prediction? What's your out there thing that happens that may not happen, but if it does happen, you get to brag about it. My bold prediction is that somebody not named Tutu Atwell or Des Fitzpatrick or Marshawn Ford has a receiving touchdown. Very nice. I like that. That's good because you've got a lot of guys there. We should be starting to see, look, this, this recruiting class in 2019 and 2020, they said they needed depth. They said they needed more quality players. You've got dudes. Let's start seeing these guys on both sides of the ball. I want to see the Zach Edwards and the Zach Williamson's and the, the Corey Reeds of the world, the Josh Johnson's. Give me some more of players that you don't see out there all the time. I know that they've got to be ready to play in games like this. And Give me some nice Luke to see him. I want to see him can handle somebody. <laughs> That's great. All right, my man. It's been fun talking Louisville football and basketball with you. As always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at the Big Red Louie, and you can catch our work at BigRedLouie.com. Until next week, we'll talk to you guys next week.